a happy new year, Gunner. Happy new year, Dave. Did you, uh, did you enjoy your time off? I assume you took time off. Yes. Yes. Uh, I took off between Christmas and new years, grew a beard, uh, scared children with it. It was great. Oh, nice. That sounds great. I did not get, well, I can't grow a beard, but if I, if I could, I would have. Uh, I, I can't grow a beard either, so it's 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 okay. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So I fully disconnected, which was yeah. super felt super healthy. I haven't been able to do that in a while, so that was great. Yeah. Did you get anything uh, from Santa? Uh, let's see. Well, I got this uh, aura ring. O u r a. So it's a it's a little bit bigger than I would like, but it's this ring that sits on my finger and is constantly taking my pulse and my uh, temperature and my uh, blood oxygen and all that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, pretty easy. Like I can, you know, when I, you charge it when you're like in the shower or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm finding it uh, great as, uh, as a sleep telemetry device and, mm-hmm. And also, it's relieving me of the responsibility of wearing this uh, Apple Watch, which yes. I've worn an Apple Watch for quite some time, but then it still looks like a toy to me when I, yeah. I yeah. wear it. Um, and uh, but if now, if I want to wear a nice watch, you know, if I'm in the unlikely event that I'm going out and getting dressed up, I don't have to wear this Apple Watch. I can go wear something else. Um, so anyway, but like a nice, uh, a nice little companion. Put it that way. Yeah. So do, does it vibrate or anything like that, or is it just no. sit there? No, it's just inert, which is, I think, a feature, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. It doesn't try to get fancy. It doesn't try to tell me anything. Um, yeah. You interact with it completely through the app, uh, which has a bunch of, like, really great um, advice about, hey, you uh, worked out really a, a bunch yesterday. You really exerted yourself, and you didn't get a whole lot of sleep. So how about you just make today a rest day? Stuff like that. Yeah. Which yeah. I need. I'd I'm, never get that. Yeah, I'm not good at paying attention to to that stuff and so having a little app tell me what i'm capable of is helpful (laughs) yeah yeah and and you're you were never a wristwatch guy yourself were you no not before i wore the the apple watch no no and and apple watch i'm mostly into it for the kind of the the telemetry features i really don't use it that often for occasionally it's good for like picking up a phone call or something like that but um so uh yeah it's nice Great. Yeah. Do you do you then feel like you have to carry your phone to get your notifications and all that? No, 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 not at all. It's actually, uh, it's actually nice. The only reason I, the only reason I feel compelled to carry my phone, like if I was running, for example, uh, yeah. I wouldn't carry my phone at all, uh, except for the fact that I like taking pictures sometimes when I'm out on a run. So, ah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. But yeah. Ordering. It's a, it's a good, mostly I would describe it as a sleep device, which also happens to track your steps, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's good. Yeah. How about you? I got a Christmas present from the unlikeliest of places. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. American Airlines. Really? Yes. Yes. And I think it was a mistake because like, I was like, so what it the status levels and all that restart mm-hmm. the end of this month or end of February or something. And I just barely cracked the first level, you know, with because it's all based on spend now. And it's like really hard to rack up a lot of uh loyalty points flying to, you know, uh Reagan from Akron. And so 
Yeah. And, and so, uh, I went and I, I went and looked at, uh, the app to go check in for a flight and all that. And it says that I'm like platinum pro. So instead of like, uh, you know, the, the lowest level, mm-hmm. I, I, they jumped me up not to the next level, but the level above that. Oh, that's, uh, so it's better than a stick in the eye, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, like, I like, what did I do? It's like, I'm like, I'm like, I restarted the app. Cause I'm like, yeah, this can't be real, you know, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I remember it's like, I had that status before COVID and everything. And then I, I lost it. And, uh, you know, it was a big blow to my, my self-worth and, mm. and everything, you know, and, and, uh, uh, yeah. So, so now my, my, um, uh, whole like, Billing for entitlement and all that is back. Uh, so nice. yeah, that's yeah. good. So what is the what is the difference between uh, platinum and platinum pro? Yes, great question. Um, the so a lot of it is like the probability of getting upgraded to first class is the biggest benefit, uh-huh. um, and then the other part is that to like to get the loyalty points, there's like a multiple uh, with it where it's like. Like, um, let's spit, let's say you buy a $300 ticket and like, it was really like $200 with a hundred dollars worth of tax. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that means that you get like 200 loyalty points if you're like the lowest level or, or whatever that level is. Right. Mm-hmm. And then if at platinum pro, I think it's like 175%. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like, if, if you're the, like, if you don't have status or you're like the lowest status, it is incredibly hard to get to the next higher status because you don't have those accelerators. Mm-hmm. And so for me, one of the big things is that, you know, the 175% is it, it's like you could rack up the loyalty points sooner to, to lock in that status instead of like, just like slugging away a hundred miles, a hundred loyalty points at a time. I see. Okay. All right. Well, great. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, my, my, uh, uh, yeah, it's, we'll see how long it lasts and whether there's a claw back or whatever, but, um, whatever, uh, I'll, I'll take it. And, yeah. and, uh, and then over the break too, I was, I was playing around with, um, um, with, with, uh, generative AI as, as everybody probably did, all the nerds did over the holiday break. And I was, I took, uh, I watched a YouTube video on like how to write your own novel and all that. Mm. And so I, so it's like, okay, so I followed the instructions to come up with a, uh, a novel of, uh, 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 you know, for, uh, based upon, uh, the, the things that we talked about on the podcast. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Was it good? Yeah. Well, I gave you the first chapter. Um, so, um, and and it's the kind of thing it's like you it was it was it was good you know it was better than i thought it would be but i felt like um you spend as much time fooling around with the ai generating the stuff than you do actually just just writing it yourself and right. all that right. so like i'm no writer uh but if i was a writer i could probably just grind it out right uh mm-hmm. whereas um i could give it ideas and then have it iterate on stuff but you have to iterate a lot on um uh you know to get it to like not 
go too far off with hallucination and you got to tighten the prompt up and everything. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. So like uh, we did the one uh, episode on, uh, was it the soda streams and all that? And, yeah. and so um, the, the Bard analyzed uh, our episodes and, and picked that as a plot point and uh, about using um, the, there's some soda company that is using the, their soda machines to do uh, mind control and uh, they're doing assassinations. So it turned into like a spy thriller with uh, some woman uh, uh, protagonist with this poker chip that she's flipping in this Los Angeles bar and getting whiskey and everything. So kind of started out all right, uh, but it was good. That's great. That, that does sound targeted toward our audience. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I did, uh, uh, I tried, you know, the thing with a book though, is that, you know, you have the, the context in uh, the generative AI, right? So it's, you're going to lose a context pretty quickly once you run out of tokens. So you have to break it into these little chunks. Mm-hmm. So then I'm thinking, it's like, all right, I'll do, let me try a short story. Maybe that'll be easier. And so I, I steered it a lot more this time where um, uh, it was uh, about two uh, uh, gig workers. Uh, their, their names were uh, uh, Doug and Gary. <laughs> and uh, yes. And, and uh, they were uh, gig workers uh, working for a company called Tranquil Dart that knocks people out, uh, the ultra wealthy, um, to transport them to another, uh, to, you know, transport them to another location. But it's, it's meant for the ultra wealthy that are, have a fear of flying and they don't want to be burdened by the whole concept of travel and all that. We just, uh, well, actually, uh, Doug and Gary go in, they knock the people out. They, they put them on the gurney, put them in the, in the white van and, and just, uh, drop them off at their next location. And then it's like I, I pump that into the AI, and I, I use Claude and I use Bard, and then uh, and then it's it took that it started with those plot elements of, and then it turned into like a time travel story. Uh, so, it, but it was fun. It was fun. But it's like the like I had the the story arc and all that all figured out, but just getting like. Uh, uh, Claude to flesh it out. It was just, it was just hard. And I was using Claude because it has a really big context window. Right. Right. Well, cool. Did, did you, um, so I think it sounds like you came to the same conclusion that I came to, which is the using a generative AI is most useful in solving a blank page problem as opposed to like yes. creating a polished work. Right. Yes. Yes. And it's also good for the finishing touches. Like when I write articles, um, I'm, I, I'm terrible at a, like a concluding paragraph. Mm. Um, so that helps me out too. It's like, all right, let's land this. What, you know, give me a good uh, conclusion for this. And yeah. it does a good job at that, but it's a good coach too. It's sort of like, you know, once you do that enough, uh, you'll be able to come up with that stuff on your own with practice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and, uh, yeah, we got a we got a great show, uh, a typical show lined up this week. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, poison USB drives. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about poison web searches, mm-hmm. and poison AI models, and then also uh, a guy pretending to be a mannequin. <laughs>
That's great. That's great. That's it. Yeah, it sounds like a standard issue DG show. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So for people to uh, get, uh, you know, to pick up their own uh, aura ring and 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 all that, uh, where do we need to send them? Yeah, they should go to a dgshow.org. That's D is in Dave, G is in Gunner, show.org. And uh, if for whatever reason you're still on the, the, the X Twitter, Twitter X, you can go to dgshow.org. And on Mastodon, you'll find us at dgshow.org at mas.to. Yep, yep. And then cutting room floor, uh, we got some, if you're a big fan of uh, like, uh, Pre uh, Millennium uh, MIDI samples. Uh, we got uh, the. Uh, we have an entire Red Hot Chili Pepper album uh, redone in the form of Donkey Kong uh, Country, actually. So really cool. And then uh, Rage Against the Machine, but done in the uh, uh, basically done by a Sega Genesis. All, all the MIDI is there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so that's good and then on the darker side uh i found some uh news broadcasts from alternate histories which is really dark straight up my alley i love that stuff that was so good yeah so, good. so imagine like a fake news report of like walter cronkite from the 1950s talking about you know adolf hitler dying in 1950 and and the the coup that's that's happened and and all this stuff but i guess it's based on uh, a uh, uh, a video game called The New Order, um, uh, and it's um, it's uh, the Hearts of Iron Four mod, I guess, of the New Order game, and it's it's like a like one of those um, like Civilization's Last uh, Risk kind of games that you would play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, where you can play through some kind of alternate history where uh, Germany didn't lose the war. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, and also speaking of alternate history and past and present and future, um, there's the there's a whole YouTube channel uh, called The Talk where um, basically imagine it's it's a bunch of Charlie Rose interviews, but but you get two different episodes. You get rid of Charlie Rose and then you have the two people he's interviewing interview each other. <laughs> and I think you curated this one pretty well. The Elon Musk and Kanye West staring awkwardly at each other is kind of uh that's uh you've you've captured the zeitgeist. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. It's great. It <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. Um so yeah, it's all good stuff. Cool. So let's see here. We got um so a little follow-up. Remember how we're always looking for uh USB drives to uh wreak havoc? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So there's a new one out. Uh, it's called the the Diabolic Drive. And, you know, a lot of times you got your, you got to make this hard choice, right? Of, am I going to have a USB drive that destroys my computer? Or is it going to be, you know, just be a show up as a keyboard and start squirting out, uh, you know, text and everything. Mm-hmm. This is a kind of thing where, where you don't have to choose as much, right? And it's a, a multifunction sort of device where, it is. It, it shows up as a universal USB drive form factor, and so it acts as a flash drive, a 64 gig flash drive, uh, a virtual serial port, as well as a USB keyboard. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. 
Interesting. So imagine it's like you 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 take the thumb drive, you plug it in, and then it'll show up as a thumb drive, and it could have files on it. Could be great. You could use it um, as a thumb drive if you want, but it also shows up as a keyboard, <laughs> and that keyboard could like you know squirt you know open up a terminal and and just run some commands in the background and all that. And uh, and what's the, what's nice about it? It's uh, you know, field upgradable too, because it has a little Wi-Fi uh, thing in it. And and uh, and so it's like it can connect to a Wi-Fi hotspot, pull up new commands and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, cause all kind of problems. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. That's enormously clever. Yeah. Yeah. 25 megabits per second writes, uh, I'm sorry, reads up to 25 megabits per second and writes up to 10 megabits per second. So it's, it's fully functional. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And only like a, what a hundred bucks, right? Yeah. Yeah. 107, 107 out the door. <laughs> and it is real easy to trick people into uh, getting into their machine. Yeah. Real easy. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so have you been, Fooling around with uh, generative AI as much? Uh, I have. I've been. Uh, I continued my mid-journey tinkering um, yeah. uh, to generate images, and that's been fun. And then, uh, and I also started uh, playing around with uh, uh, played, played around with Bard. Uh, uh-huh. uh, did and I played around with OpenAI. Actually, had uh, OpenAI has the voice interaction right now. Um, yeah. And and the the voice sounds a lot to me like Catherine Keener, the indie movie actress, which I like. And okay. uh, so Soren found it, and he wanted to try it out. And he and I have been playing a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. And Soren went back and forth with this uh, with with OpenAI uh, through ChatGPT, um, and ChatGPT walked him through an into uh, a D and D adventure. Oh wow! Yeah. Uh, it was pretty good. And it was like, and then Soren was like, okay, so I take the gnome and I kill it. And the chat GPT is like, whoa, 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 slow down. I think you've misread the tone. Let's try this again. Yeah. Uh, kinder, gentler DMD. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so it was cool. It was, it was cool. And it was like a 20 minute session of him just talking to him, going back and forth. Wow. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Cause usually it's sort of like the longer you talk to it, the more it breaks down and, you know, and all that. So that's pretty good. Yeah, it mostly stayed on the rails for the session. It was great. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. Well, how about you? Well, what did you? What did you find? Well, one of the things about like like uh, you know we've we've worried about this in the past of the the whole AI Ouroboros of um, AI training content or mm-hmm. I'm sorry AI results going into as training content. Yep. And and so now uh, some people have found uh, some researchers have have found that uh, Microsoft's Bing search engine will uh, if you ask it certain questions and it's probably fixed by now. But what they discovered was that if you ask it certain things, it would um, talk about a 1948 research paper uh, by a guy named Shannon about mm-hmm. uh, a search, a short history of searching, a seminal work on the field of computer science outlining the history of search algorithms and their evolution over time from 1948. That would be uh, quite a The reality paper. is, what's yeah. that? I said that would be quite a paper. 
Yeah, and the reality is, is that paper doesn't exist. But um, um, so uh, the paper doesn't exist. But Microsoft Bing is quoting uh, the results of chatbots from uh, two chatbots from Pi and Inflection AI. Um, actually, uh, yeah, it's uh, Pi from Inflection AI, and then Claude from Anthropic. Uh, they're quoting results out of that. So you know, it's like people would take like their, you know, their chat results and then create a shareable link. Those mm-hmm. links are getting indexed and then fed into the the AI for training purposes. Oh man, yeah, yeah, and but it, in your experiments with Bard, do, do you know about the Google logo button? Yeah, I noticed that whenever it uh, whenever it offered me something that looked like a fact, it also gave me this option to go look up the same information on Google or to confirm yeah. it on, on Google, which I thought was was pretty clever. Yeah, it was clever, uh, or at least I found that it's clever, but it's not very good. Mm. And, you know, so like like what'll, what you'll do is like in BARD, you'll ask it something, it gives you the results. And then in the results, there's like a share button. There's a, you know, all these different buttons. And one of the buttons is a, like a Google logo, the G. You Mm -hmm. click on that and it'll take the results and then pump it into Google to fact check it. Mm -hmm. And then it'll color them coming back, whether it's like, uh, and what's interesting too is the color palette choices. It's like orange and maybe like pink and, you know, so it's not green and it's not uh, red, right? Oh. It's like, right. And and so like they're not making any calls, right? Yeah. Um, but if it's one color, it's like, yeah, it's like you may want to double check that. Whereas if it's another color, it's like, yeah, that's that's we you know, we actually found um, results for that. But you know, like I'm kind of surprised. It's like, why don't you just fact check it on the way out uh, instead of like having to have the extra step of the button? Maybe it's more compu- computationally expensive to do for everyone. Yeah. Well, and also they don't want to, I imagine they don't want to uh, be somehow held responsible for making a bad judgment. Right. Yeah. 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 But I can imagine it could still come out and be color coded, you know, how, how, how it, you know, you want it to be, but yeah. But I, I still found too, that the fact checking and the citations, it's not as good as it could be um, from what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, well, it's still early days. It's hard to, it's easy to forget that we've only been really wrestling with this for like a year uh, yep. in, you know, as the general public. Right. Um, and we're still trying to figure out how to make this work if it can ever work the way that we want it to. Yep. Yep. And then, and related to the whole Ouroboros stuff is mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're a Spotify fan, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. I've been using Spotify for some time. That's right. Okay. Yep. So, uh, and I'm, I never got into it. Um, I have all the albums I want, so I'm done. Um, but, uh, so Spotify has a, an AI problem where what's happening is you have a song that's generated by artificial intelligence and then it's being listened to by bots and it's all, uh, the people are doing it as a revenue source. So they're creating the content with AI. They're having the same people are having bots listen to it as a way to monetize what they're creating. 
I see. So they're just churning out garbage content with good search results or good SEO, right? Or with, uh, with a listener base. Yeah, 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 right. You know, like right. all the listeners are the same people that created the that created the the the, uh, the audio for it. Yeah, right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, and then they make, you know, every time the song is played, they get like five cents or whatever, and um, and they're just making it, they're, they're making money that way. Amazing. Well, it's, it's the same problem we had with search engines for so long, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, people clicking on their own banner ads or, I guess, yeah, right. you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And and have have you heard of uh, Nightshade? No, but that sounds like fun. Yeah, so Nightshade, it's a way to um, artists are using it to poison AI models, and so like you know uh, we've talked about steganography for over a decade, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like you look at an image and it looks like a certain thing, but the 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 noise inside the image could have messages inside of it. Mm-hmm. And so what they did was that um, these researchers, I think it's, uh, yeah, University of Chicago, um, if you set things up and you find out that you're being crawled by like an AI, you know, bot, mm-hmm. you could return images that are different than what you have on your website. And, and images that are being crawled, like basically, like let's say I have a picture of a dog it, there's noise inside of it that will tell the AI that it's a picture of a cat. <laughs> so now the AI mistakenly learns that dogs are cats. Right. And so, and, and so uh, what they did, they, after 50 samples of poisoned images, the AI began to start generating uh, images of dogs with strange uh, legs and unsettling appearances. And, <laughs> okay. and then after a hundred samples of poisoned images, it started reliably generating a cat whenever it was asked for a dog. And then uh, after 300 poison samples, any request for a cat returned a near perfect looking dog. <laughs> That's great. And so the idea here, the, or the premise, the, the reason why they were doing this is so that um, artists could shade their work in the right way, include the right steganography or whatever in the images that they post online, such that the images when consumed by the model would yield something completely unlike the thing that the bot had crawled. Right. Right. So like, imagine like all the pictures of Mickey Mouse or whatever, you know, and it's, yeah. It, you know, it, it should, you know, it could be a picture of, uh, of Woody Woodpecker and, yeah. you know, coming out. Right. And so it, then the re, the result is that, um, you know, it makes the value of the AI model a lot less and a lot less trustworthy, but yeah. um, it also is a way to encourage, it's like, Hey, you want to slurp my data. It's like, let's set up a licensing agreement and, right. you know, pay me for my work, which I think is fair. Yeah, that's right. Huh. Interesting. I, we seem pretty far away from equilibrium in the system. You know what I mean? Yep. 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 And then uh, speaking of paydays, um, mm. yeah, I, I saw that there's uh, in Poland, uh, uh, police arrested a man who pretended to be a mannequin. What, why would he pretend to be a mannequin? 
uh, because he was uh, stealing jewelry uh, from the store. <laughs> and so, so that he would show who, for whom was he posing? He, he was just like, you know, you walk into a Macy's or whatever, and you got your mannequins all over the place. Right. He decided to like stand in the window of a store and stand very still like a mannequin <laughs> waited until it was after closing time, everybody left. Yeah. And then it was, it was a jewelry heist. <laughs> good for him. Well, I guess not good for him because obviously they caught him if now we're talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it wasn't good for him. And, uh, and, and we can make it the picture of the week, but uh, you see the picture there in the show notes. Yeah. He's not, he, it doesn't seem like he's trying very hard if I'm honest. Yeah. He also is like, you know, usually the, the mannequins are, are, are pretty ripped and and mm-hmm. like low uh bmi um yeah. this guy knows so yeah yeah no he's he's uh a good dad bod going i guess <laughs> but yeah but it's like he you know a nice try and and if if you check out the article he was also caught for um you know how you have the mall where the the rolling gate drops down and all that uh-huh. he was like i guess he was like rolling there's another video of him like rolling underneath the gate to like like to escape a restaurant and then break back in to eat again (laughs) so you like indiana jones did (laughs) yeah 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 that's great great. yeah and then meanwhile um and and so that was in poland uh in uh i think yeah in georgia there was a, a, a lady that showed up at a Waffle House um, to work her shift. She worked there for two hours and took $130 from the cash register and was not a Waffle House employee. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. They have a picture of her. She's wearing a Waffle House, uh, Waffle House baseball hat and everything. She's like, I'm here for my shift. And they're like, okay, get to work. <laughs> it's like that is some look if you could pull that off why do a waffle house you know what i mean yeah 130 bucks two hours of work yeah it's not nothing but i feel like she could have done yeah. better you know yeah yeah probably jewelry counter at a at a mall and team up with the guy from poland exactly exactly what i was thinking that's right that's right yeah yeah why not yeah. so I, so I got, uh, speaking of lessons learned, um, yeah. so I got one lesson. So I went through my annual ritual of uh, reexamining my organizational situation, uh, mm-hmm. my digital organizational situation. This word. And uh, Dave, are you familiar with the para method? You t- you said I turned you onto it, but I, I deny that. I did. <laughs> I did. I could have sworn that you turned me onto this. I had full credit. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the pair method uh, popularized by this guy, or maybe even invented by uh, this guy, um, uh, this guy, Tiago, I'm going to forget his last name. Doesn't matter. Nice guy. He uh, he invented this method, and it's a kind of a universal organizational system that you can apply to whatever. So you can apply it to your to-do list. You can apply it to your note system. You can and here's how it goes. Para, P-A-R-A. Starts with projects, which are kind of time-bound, things that you are focusing on right now. A, areas. So these are roles that you play in your life, which is a, that's a kind of a category I really enjoy thinking about. So like 
role as a whatever uh, father, husband, uh, coworker, uh, etc. All these areas, you know, all these different you know roles that we play. And then our resources, these are just like things that you want to have around. So for example, one of my resources is like a list of fun quotes that I enjoy, right? Okay, so good. Mm -hmm. Now I have a place for those. And then A, archive for stuff that you don't need anymore. Mm -hmm. And this sounds obvious, but there are two innovations here that really made it kind of click for me. The first was it forces you to get specific about what your projects are. And his guidance is that you really can only handle like 10 to 15 projects at a given time. And sitting down and thinking about what my projects actually were took a surprising amount of time. Um, But it was, I found it extremely useful though, then to have like, I have a list of the same list of projects in Todoist as I do in my notes, as I do in my file folders. Right. And uh, the magic of that is that, when you do your weekly review, as we all do a weekly review, mm-hmm. um, the weekly review, all your stuff is in a predictable place. You don't have to go pull it from different spots and all the rest of it. And you can use as many tools as you want to hold stuff, knowing that it you're going to be able to find it no matter how you've organized it. Right. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second innovation, like I mentioned before, is this notion of saying like there is stuff that you want to keep track of but it's not project stuff but it is important and that's the areas stuff so those are Mm -hmm. that's a way of bucketing up stuff like uh for me i've got stuff like uh okay this uh kind of small business venture that we might be doing or uh or soren is an area right like Mm soren is not a project it's not a specific thing i'm doing but it is a it is a bucket of things that are important to me. And so those are all the areas. Anyway, super easy kind of way of dividing up the work. Um, Really helpful to even go through the exercise of deciding like, is this an area or is this a project? Aha. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. interesting. Right. Um, And, uh, and the fact that it creates consistency across n number of tools that you might be using, whether it's your disk drive, whether it's your to-do list, your notes, your Google docs, your whatever, um, man, I found it super helpful. Para. Yeah. Do you think that the, like to me, the way you describe it, it sounds like the areas heavily, they should heavily influence your projects. What, what projects you should do and how to prioritize them. Yeah. There will be the areas and the projects are not disconnected. Um, yeah. like they often you have a project and you could, I guess, put a project inside a particular area, but the idea behind a project is that you're kind of pulling it out. You're kind of pulling it up out of an area and you're saying, I am going to, I need to do this piece of work in this area for a finite amount of time. That's a very important part of the project idea is that the projects end in a, in a way that right. areas don't end. Right. Right. No, like I could imagine, uh, like being a parent, it would be an area, right. Yeah. Uh, but right. doing, a uh, vacation with Soren uh, would be something to, you know, help you be a better parent or or whatever. You know what I mean? That's right. That's right. And then what makes it really helpful again, and when you're doing your weekly review process, is instead of going to this like undifferentiated set of like areas that you've kind of shorned into projects or projects that really feel more like areas, there's a clean division between the two, and. That means that when you're going through your weekly review, you look at each project and you say, like, each project needs a next action, needs a next thing to do, right? So you can move the project forward. So, uh, and then an area doesn't necessarily need a next thing to do, but it does allow you to say, like, in this role, in this capacity in my life, uh, is there there anything that I want to do about that this week, right? It's a different way of 
thinking about your list of things to do or your your ticklers or your whatever. Um, so anyway, I found it really surprising. I thought it was kind of corny, you know, uh, and and frankly, kind of simple. But that's actually a feature. Um, it's actually it's proved really really helpful. Yeah. No. I, and yeah. And and like I said, it's sort of like my guess is that as you look at the projects that you're doing, it's like tying it back to like, is this project really important? And yeah. should I be doing it? And, and is there something more or am I, and, or you look at all your projects and all your projects are work projects and nothing for family. Yeah. You know, exactly. and it's like, Whoa, I'm out of balance. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And so I find it, that's exactly right. I would say 75% of the value of this is it forces you to get specific about what your projects are. And you're going to be horrified when you first try to make this list because <laughs> it's, yeah. it's going to be, it's sobering. Well, and a lot of those projects are probably like of the projects you're before you start this process, a lot of those projects, it's like, I'm working on this thing and it's has no value yeah. and it's, it's not related to anything important. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Right. So yeah, it's cool. Paramethod. And you, you can, it's easily Googleable. The guy's extremely good at promoting himself. So he's, so he's got all kinds of videos about it and stuff like that. So um, yeah, check it out. Paramethod. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Oh, cool. So that's all I got. But if so, if people need to to get learn more about the pair method, or or they want to uh, rob a Waffle House, um, where where's the first place they should go? Yeah, they should go to uh, dgshow.org. That's a D is in Dave, G is in Gunner. Show dot o r g. Awesome, Gunner. Well, hey, uh, thanks as always, and thanks everybody for listening. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Thanks, everyone. Bye.